This is Channel 253. In this episode of Nerd Farmer. We are in a society with instant gratification of if you want high cheekbones, you go get more bronzer. Or if you want to look fly going out, <laughs> you go buy the newest uh, whatever shoes that people are wearing. And, you know, if you start thinking about that is the money to tuck away the way that people came out of the, the Great Depression, they tuck their money away. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. This is the Nerd Farmer Podcast, a national conversation through a local lens. Welcome to the Nerd Farmer Podcast, an interview show. My name is Nate, and I'm your host, an American teacher abroad. This podcast is intimately tied to the practices and like reality of real estate. If you haven't been listening to like episode number one, uh, the origin of the show was that I did a guest appearance on Marguerite Martin's Moots to Coma podcast. And from that, uh, I became the guest host of that show. And to that, she became the founding sponsor of the show. Uh, and so like this show has real estate kind of in its blood or like in, at its roots. In addition to that, uh, over time, I've started taking my my talks that I do with teachers about equity and justice into real estate venues and having conversations with realtors. And it's really interesting for me because like, I'm somebody who says, well, segregated schools are the result of segregated housing. And like every teacher knows that. But if you say that to realtors, they're like, tell us, tell us more about this. And so I've been talking to real estate audiences uh, across the country and even continuing now, uh, I've been doing that work. And so what I want to do is, is I want to have a conversation about what's happening in real estate uh, and in particular real estate in Tacoma and then also what's happening in the industry. And so I reached out and I have today. Uh, wait, so Jasmine, have you been on a Channel 253 show before? I have not. I've I've co or guest hosted moved to Tacoma once about the Dune Park, but no. OK, so a one time Channel 253 host. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we would love to have more of you doing Move to Tacoma, by the way. Okay. I think uh, that's a possibility. Let's go. Let's go, Reggae Horn. <laughs> uh, so, Jasmine Jefferson, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm very interested in how this conversation is going to go today. So, Jasmine, you and I and Dave Jones had a conversation uh, earlier this summer at Inman for their uh their online conference about real estate. I'm just wondering for the benefit of the audience so they can kind of get to know you and situate you in the conversation. Uh, what do you do? How long have you been doing it? Like what are your credentials in real estate? Okay. Um, currently I'm the principal managing broker of our office here on 19th street with Windermere professional partners in central Tacoma. I've been in real estate full time since 2003 um, it was kind of a fluke. I was driving down the street, saw a billboard. I was fed up with my retail job. If I can manage ladies buying dresses, let's help people buy houses. So um, I was in real estate when the market crashed during the Great Recession. I opted to continue in real estate. I saw that the only 
limitations to it really were those that um, I put on myself and I saw it as a way to create a legacy and start some generational wealth. So that was around the time that I realized that based on the way my family was set up, there wasn't a lot of that there. And I was looking forward to the future with my daughter. So long story short of that, during that time, I also opted to get heavily involved in the Realtor Association so that I could stay connected and understand why I was a realtor and what power did that actually mean? Because everybody was saying you have all of this power when you are behind the Realtor R. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to bring my chair and I'm going to sit at the table and let's learn about this. So there you go. I always act like I know what it means when you say the managing broker, but like, what does that actually mean? Oh, good question. So in Washington state, in most states, you have a real estate firm that has a designated broker and a general manager. Depending on the size of that firm, the designated broker may hire additional managing brokers or somebody with a a higher level of license and then delegate supervisory tasks to that person over the agents or brokers that are within the firm. So I work under the general manager and I have the supervisory task of managing this office here and the 47 brokers that run their real estate businesses. Okay, thanks. Um, One of the things that you mentioned was about generational wealth and I kind of want to start there with the conversation. For a host of different reasons, housing is a commodity in the American system. And because it's a commodity, there's incentive to not build more housing because building more housing decreases the value of existing housing, or at least this is like how folks think about it. The follow along or knock on effects of that is, is that like we're seeing a situation in which housing in the city of Tacoma in particular, but like across the, across the country, well, actually not across the country, you can buy a house in Texas for nothing still, but like in, in particular, like on the West Coast and in the Northwest, like housing prices are ridiculous. You talked about your desire for your family to build generational wealth. That's a desire that I think that my family had as well. But just what are your thoughts on the idea and the fact that so much of wealth of families is tied up in real estate? And like, what do you think about how that impacts and kind of distorts society and distorts the choices people make? So what has been amazing to me as a real estate professional, just from the get go, is when I started seeing how much money people could pull out of their current homes to help their kids buy houses. Mm -hmm. Now I'm in my twenties, single mom in an apartment, starting a real estate career, didn't really understand all of the things, right? Fake it till you make it. I'm going to sell houses. So I start seeing this money and this access to money, which made me think a little bit more about, you know, how my family was set up. And like my dad didn't talk to me about owning a house, even though he owned a home and my grandparents owned a home. So I paid a lot more attention. So then I started looking at who are the older agents in my office mm-hmm. and they were talking about their rental properties and, you know, their 401ks and the equity that they had and how they were moving money around. And so that was really my first experience, even hearing about equity in, in understanding that there's such a thing as generational wealth. There's no com- there's no trust set up. There's, you know, and I'm, I hear this with, I have agents who have trusts, family trusts. 
I review files and assist in complex uh, contract negotiations where trusts are being pulled from. And it's just fascinating to me that this is a normal thing for a lot of people and highly abnormal for a lot of people. Yeah. I... I'm nodding at what you're saying. I think about like my family story. Like my mom like owned a house when we were growing up. She got grandma's house when grandma passed away. Uh, my wife and I bought a house in 2011, basically at like the bottom of the market. Mm-hmm. And now we have like the house has doubled in value and we haven't really done much to earn that money. It's just, we've, it's doubled in value kind of writing it up. But at this point, what that means is, is that housing in Tacoma is now more expensive. Basically, b- buying a house now costs twice as much as it did 10 years ago at the bottom of the market. Absolutely. And a lot of people, a lot of people are priced out of the market. And so, like, this is kind of the, 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 the place I want to go with this. Like, you're essentially saying, rightfully so, that you, over the recent past, have, like, been educated in the way that, like, the system works. Yes. And the way in which like real estate operates and how Ill- how real estate uh, is like a store of value for families. Yes. What happens then, though, to like the folks who can't get into the market because of that? So like you're a homeowner. Mm-hmm. You have a lovely backyard. I've seen on Instagram. Hey, it's a lovely backyard. My, my grandparents, I purchased yeah. my grandparents home. It wasn't given to me, which yeah. I think is beautiful when that when that happens. And I think that's yeah. wonderful but it means something more in my world to have purchased my grandparents' house. So that, I waited for that. No, check it out. Well, and, and I'm thinking in particular about, so So the actual reason why like this conversation is happening is, is I was talking to a friend of mine who like I was a mentor for back in the States and essentially like they are one of millions of millennials who are still staying in their parents' house right? Uh, and like stacking money, hoping to like get a down payment. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about how they're afraid they're going to get priced out of Tacoma. Yep. And... I was talking about the idea that essentially like I was only able to buy in Tacoma or, or buy because I bought in 2011, like in the middle of a crash. And there's something to be said about like a system where housing is the way that families build value, but housing is scarce. And right. then increasingly you can only get into housing in the community that we live in if you can time a market crash. And that's uh, either that I, or time yeah. your savings. Yeah. And understand that, you know, you you hear a lot of things like with first time homebuyers, you have these classes where they talk about the down payment assistance and all these things. But you have a whole market of sellers who are somehow told or under the impression that these buyers are less worthy of taking their offer mm. because they have down payment assistance. And it doesn't always mean that they're less able to purchase it just means that their cash flow is working a little different and they happen to qualify for this program um what i'm talking to i have a a young couple that i'm working with right now and i think the reality of the market is settling in for them even though they have 20 percent down because you're still dealing with people with 50 percent down which is crazy to me um that this is the long game so not only is the investment a long game but getting into the property is a long game. You have to be prepared that there's going to be more no's getting to the yes than what you're accustomed to hearing about. Even if your friends bought a house a few years ago, on average, agents are writing up six to eight offers per each buyer before they get to their house. 
that's actually a question I was going to ask you is like, what's happening in the real estate market in Tacoma right now? So like where, like obviously prices are going up, but like, is it a acceleration from the recent past or are things leveling off or? I, for us, I'm not seeing that they're leveling off. Um, you know, in East, East side Tacoma, people, it has a stigma. I happen to live in East side. I love East side. I actually love all neighborhoods of Tacoma. Um, even Fircrest? No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. That's not Tacoma. They have a different mayor. <laughs> Dang it. You got me. You got me. All right. You know, in the past, people didn't want to live in the east side. And now you're hearing people say, well, let's take a look at the east side. The prices seem to be. So house, great condition, up on top of Fairbanks Hill, multiple offers, way over 400000 and it was priced at 300 something and so you have somebody who is prepared to buy. Mm. They have done everything, great credit, saved up their money. So even thinking about the people who have medium credit, have saved up three and a half percent, had that been, a, I know for a fact, whoever got that house is not three and a half percent down or worth down payment assistance. The, even the thought of needing to represent somebody is extremely stressful because you know there's an uphill battle for that. So any agent that is working with first-time home buyers, kudos to them because it is going to be a massive uphill battle and the emotions tied to that because people are starting to understand more about the generational wealth with, with real estate. The conversation is top of mind and they're like, I want to do that. I need to get in there. I need to, before the next one happens or whatever, I need to get in there and the stress that is involved in the emotions and the tears and all of that stuff. It's that I'm seeing a lot more of for sure. Emotional. I think, I think I know the answer to this, but what is driving the increase in real estate prices in Tacoma over the last decade? Lack of housing. There's not enough roofs for the amount of heads that are in the city. <laughs> so, <laughs> you say, you say, it's, like, it's like, duh, Nathan, are you stupid? Um, <laughs> no, I'm just, that's the easiest way I can put it. And I hear yeah. the question all the time in other regions. And I, I will ask questions when I'm in panels or talking in, in word groups. Like, are you seeing anything in any city in the United States of America who has figured this out beyond the fact that there's just not enough roofs? Mm. I feel like oftentimes when we talk about housing in Tacoma, we make it an isolated conversation and say, well, here's happening in Tacoma. But like also what's happening in Tacoma is being shaped by what's happening in Seattle. And so I often wonder, like, is it actually useful to talk more about like a regional housing system and like what's happening regionally? Yeah, and so about what I can. If the, yeah, so if the issue is, is that there's not enough roofs in Tacoma. Mm -hmm. uh, whenever I'm in Seattle, I'm seeing new construction of condos and, 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 mm -hmm. and, and, and homes and like homes being built there. If we're treating this as like one like one market, what is happening that the construction is happening in Seattle, the construction is not happening in Tacoma at the same pace? Or different question or same idea, or is the construction happening in Seattle at a price where like like help me understand this a little bit? Well, I think a lot has to do with the employers that are in the areas. Seattle demands housing closer to the, the city center, or it did before Corona. Um, so what we saw in the last three years was this massive influx of, uh, people wanting to live downtown and closer to, so that they didn't have to drive 
and you had Amazon and some other large companies and they, I'm not sure what the tax incentives were for the developers to be able to build as many condos as they did, but there was one weekend when five condo developments came on the market at one time and it absolutely saturated the market and their market actually halted briefly because there was too many units and they were all the same and there was nothing spectacular about them and it actually freaked everybody out. And so now we're seeing it's getting caught up. The people are moving back and um, not moving back, but they're, they're buying the condos, but it was kind of about five weeks. That was a little scary. So for Tacoma, Anytime we start talking about condo developments, people get super weirded out about it. And this is very perplexing to me because how you said that I made that answer very simple. I don't understand why that answer is not simple for everybody. If we keep <laughs> populating the county and the cities in any region, why do we not think that we need to correlate that with the amount of houses that we build or that we create um Oh, gosh, it's escaping me right now. I was just in a meeting about this last night. Um, policy and incentives for developers to create the affordable housing. And affordable housing is at every price point. It's not just people get all weirded out. Oh, you want to make all this housing for low income people, which should not be a problem. But affordable housing is at every price point because you have different people at different price points. So we're seeing it at every level. Yeah, well, and so it's funny because like the the person, the progressive in me says that like the answer isn't always supply and demand and sometimes government policy. But this is one of those cases where I feel like the answer is just supply and demand. Uh, we had several oh. adult civics happy hour events and we talked about like if you build market rate housing or more expensive housing, that creates less competition at the lower like, lower price levels. And then like, 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 so the answer literally is supply. You were going to say? It, it's a balance of both where before... I, I would agree with you, but now that I'm in here and I'm seeing at the the um, the competition at every price point, it's um, I can say very confidently that it it is both. So I'm I'm fascinated by what you were talking about earlier on about what is it like for a first time home buyer. Hmm. So what is it like in the market right now for a first time home buyer? Like what are they experiencing trying to buy a house in Tacoma? They're buying, they have to buy lower probably than what they're, you know, if they're approved at 350, they're probably looking at 275 to 300 to try to be competitive so they can bump the price up. Um, that's, that's always advised. The problem is that they have uh, conversations with family members, friends, parents saying, well, when I bought a house, we were able to do this. We wrapped in our closing costs. We negotiated all these phenomenal things. And it would behoove them to listen to the agent who's currently working in the market of today on how to strategize with that. So the, I'm seeing more people buying homes that need more work, even though they maybe that wasn't part of their dream to work on a house. They just wanted a place to safely um, store their things and rest their head. And now they are fixing up houses that they had no idea they needed to, to do. And you mentioned that houses are now going above asking price and that, way, that's, that's way above way in it's, every it's, price point. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding? And I'm, and we're supposed to advise people. We yeah. have to advise them using the data. We have to balance the mark. How do you, how do you 
determine fair market value. That is determined by what the buyer is willing to pay for the house. But you have a bank who doesn't want to over lend on it. And you have an appraiser who also doesn't want to overvaluate the property, but you have a buyer who's willing to pay more, but needs these finances. So having those conversations and getting people to understand that it's more than just, you know, you have all of these players involved who's going to determine how much you can pay for the house. One thing I'm struck by is you talked earlier about a house on Fairbanks Hill going for $400,000. And then you said people need to come into the market basically pre-approved for three fifty dollars to get into two seventy. dollars Where are houses in Tacoma at two seventy dollars right now? There are one and two bedrooms popping up on the market. Um, you know, it just it depends. They're few and far in between. Um, I've got some new brokers and new brokers when they get into the market, a lot of times they end up attracting first-time homebuyers. So when I'm reviewing their contracts and I'm seeing, you know, price points under 300000 I have the same question, like, where are you finding these houses? So I see them in Lakewood. They're going outside of Tacoma, Parkland, um, you know, the outskirts of Southeast Tacoma, finding them. And then you have smaller houses. And then you'll see that some homeowners are testing the market. They may have a smaller house that's a fixer-upper and they will price it high with everything else. And some of those will stay on the market and people can pick those up, you know, maybe a little bit more than what they were listed for, but not crazy. It's frustrating for me because I've talked a lot of smack about like the boomers who bought houses in North Tacoma for like $64,000 in the 70s and have rode them up to half a million dollars or more and like how they need to shut up about building new housing and like their selfish dick faces, frankly. And now I find myself being a person who bought a house. So like you're talking about houses going above asking price. Mm-hmm. Um, my wife and I bought our house, like I mentioned, in 2011 at the bottom of the market. We watched it come on, we, we watched it come on the market at 190 didn't sell, 180, didn't sell, 170, didn't sell, 160, didn't sell, 155, we got in the house and then like, like you said, roll closing costs. But I was, I just want to like own, like for people listening and thinking about this, like I am fully aware that I am basically the last micro generation that was able to afford college debt free. And now it appears that I'm the last like micro generation, like the, I call myself uh, late Gen X or like an early millennial, 41 years old right now. So I'm the last group of people who was able to get through college debt-free. And now I'm like the last group that was able to get an affordable house. And like, I just, I don't understand how this is sustainable in the long term for the region and for the community. I don't think we do either. And honestly, um, that is something that needs to be talked about more. And it needs to be more than just real estate brokers talking about it. And I know government tries to stay out of, um, this discussion as much as possible, but until we can figure out how to have more roofs for the amount of people that are out there, then I don't see that this is going to go away. And what, you know, what we don't talk about, I think sometimes in these conversations, and this is where my realtor hat kind of comes in play, because when you talk about advocating on behalf of homeowners, but we're still, wanting to protect future homeowners, you also can't dismiss that the people like yourselves who are getting this equity in the homes and benefiting from generational wealth, you have to figure out what is the balance to protect both because we don't want to take away anything to prevent from the generational wealth that so many people before us benefited from. 
especially those of us who didn't have it generationally. That's the part yes, I'm not I sure have, about. I have to protect that as the, right? as real estate brokers. That that's part of what we protect. No, right. So you're right, but that's the part I'm not sure about. Is like if we have a society in which basically nobody's able to build wealth besides their homes for a host of economic reasons, like all the ways that distorts like the rest of society. Like I, that's the part I'm hung up on, but we'll take a break here. Here's a thought. Here's a thought. Here's something that um, we have rallied around to assist VA buyers that we can do. And I talked to my new agents about this. When you're working with a home seller, you have influence as a real estate professional, right? You can say, don't take any VA loans. Don't take any FHA loan cash or conventional. They're the easiest, surefire way to close on a loan. Or you can say, here are all the benefits of working with a VA buyer or an FHA buyer. If we do this as, as, a, as a, a population of people, as home sellers, we can help these people get into the market. Just because they have down payment assistance doesn't mean they're not qualified to buy and that this is, you know, everybody thinks of that as a welfare type thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're getting assistance from the government. It's a nonprofit organization who is allowing somebody to keep more cash in their pocket that they're going to go spend on improving the house or, or buying new appliances or doing all these things. So I say all that to say is we as real estate professionals can educate the sellers at how taking a different types of loans and maybe cash isn't always king. If you wait an additional uh, 15 days to closing, you could potentially get another $25,000, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, than if you just take the cash as king who can close in 15 days. So there's, there's ways that we as professionals can have these conversations with the sellers to advocate on behalf of the buyers as well. So that's exactly where I want to go in the in the next segment. I okay. want to talk about the morality and the the as somebody who believes in justice like you do, how you navigate the real estate space. So that's where we're going in a minute. Okay. We got Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. And I've been a member of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big bank, it was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach branches and ATMs in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use their online or mobile banking. To this day, TAPCO helps parents teach kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. And we are back. I would like to thank you for downloading this show and giving us a listen today. The Nerd Farmer Podcast is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Channel 253 is a local network of podcasts that we uh, do as a labor of love. We're trying to tell stories and elevate voices that you won't hear elsewhere. 
Uh, this show is about housing in Tacoma and like what's happening with housing. Uh, the interchangeable white ladies are talking about matters of justice and matters of uh, equity in the classroom practice and also like in society. Uh, I love their tagline, Be Less Basic. Citizen Tacoma is interviewing local elected officials. Uh, the most recent episode had Beth Dolio, who's a candidate for the 10th Congressional District, which is like South Tacoma down to Olympia. It was an interesting conversation. She's running as Marilyn Strickland uh, for that seat. And they have an upcoming episode with Janice Bridges, who is running a writing campaign for sheriff in Pierce County. And God knows we need something better from the sheriff. If you enjoy these kind of conversations, if you are civically engaged in the Tacoma area, area and like want to hear these stories be told, I'm going to ask you to go to your computer and go to channel253.com slash membership. Your membership is $4 a month or $40 a year, and it helps us keep telling these stories. If you don't want to hear me say this every episode, you can join, and then I won't say it to you. Or maybe I will be saying it to you, but I won't mean it to you because you're supporting us. All right. Uh, another thing, listeners, I appreciate is, is that I ask folks to leave five-star reviews for the show, and uh, I want to thank Amanda B. West. Her review says, yay, Nerd Farmer. I love this podcast. We love you too, Amanda. I live in Lewis County, and I really appreciate listening to smart people who live not that far away. Well, I'm far away, but that's a different conversation, I guess. Uh, anyway, uh, I really appreciate listening to smart people who live not that far away talk about issues surrounding education, justice, race, and voting. All very important issues for me and my work as a teacher. Teachers, yes. I love listening to the book reviews. Yes. I've read so many excellent books and articles because of Nate and his guests. Yes. Thank you, and keep up the excellent work. Hell yeah, Amanda. Uh, speaking of books, a reminder that Channel 253 is also sponsored by Libro FM. Uh, Libro FM is your source for audiobooks. Uh, I'm currently listening to Ibrahim uh, X. Kendi and Jason Reynolds' remix Stamped. If you go to Libro and you use Tacoma as your uh, promo code, you can get two books for free with your first month membership. Uh, again, that's Libro FM. Use promo code Tacoma. All right, Jasmine. Let's get back to the complexity about all this now. You are somebody who has roots in Tacoma as deep as I do, mm -hmm. like fellow Jason Lee Bobcats, like we go back. What is the long-term trajectory? Like how does this, how can you continue to have a city that has low wage jobs and high cost housing? And how does, like, like, like I, I, I'm just, what is the end result of what's happening right now? I don't know how that works. And I don't know that the people in charge know how that works. And I love a lot of the people in charge. And I, I think that we're fortunate to have them at the table and assisting with um, making some of these changes. But this is, I ask this, these types of questions all the time to anybody who complains or has a thought or a theory because I want to be solutions oriented and I know the answers out there somewhere. And it seems like unless we bring some employers in that pay higher wages, then I just, I don't see how it, how it changes. Okay. So given that I'm thinking back to in the beginning, I was talking about my friend who I was speaking to, mm -hmm. she's living with her parents and stocking away savings, hoping to make a fat down payment. What is your advice to somebody in their late 20s and early 30s who's kind of sitting on the side of this market wondering if they can get in or not? Save your money, keep your credit score um, up, and 
pay attention because when the time hits, you don't want to be caught in a place where you can't afford it. So we know that real estate is cyclical. It goes up and down. We can't continue on this trajectory forever. You make a really good point that if we don't have the wages to support the the price point, something's going to happen. So we know there's going to be a shift. And when you look back historically, it goes up and down, up and down, up and down. It, it never, there's, it's never a flat plane that we're on. So I know that a lot of young people, and I say that as the parent of a 26-year-old, they don't want to have credit, but you need to have credit right now. And you need to do it smartly and wisely, understand how credit works, and save as much money as possible. We are in a society with instant gratification of if you want high cheekbones, you go get more bronzer. Or if you want to look fly going (laughs) out, you go buy the newest uh, whatever shoes that people are wearing. And, you know, if you start thinking about that is the money to tuck away the way that people came out of the, the Great Depression, they tuck their money away. They, they save their money and we have to get back to a different mindset and almost uh, refute all of the, the commercial stuff and the, the consumerism and all of those things. And you have to save your money up. There's, there's just no other way to do it because that down point payment is how you get that price point down. It's so frustrating because like, I, I, I think you're right, but like, Everything in society right now from the White House to everything is all about instant gratification and making no and thinking not about the long term and essentially by an accident of demography and the fact they were born 40 years early, a bunch of folks have million dollar homes that like they didn't do anything to build a million dollars worth of value. And we're saying to 25 and 30 year olds, hey, I know you're working a job that pays you basically exactly what you would have made in the 1970s, like adjusted for inflation, but hey, suck it up and save $57,000 so you can go get a down payment. That's just, that's just, so, oh, so, so you're right. I hear like, what you're saying, yeah. but here's where your mindset has to come into play. Yeah. Because we could take that and think, this just isn't for me, it's never gonna work. I'm not gonna be able to do this. Or you can say, this is a goal that I'm setting out for myself because I don't want other people determining how my future is going to be. And if this didn't work for my family in the past, or I have to do things differently, I'm okay with that. Which is, I have that conversation a lot with young people, my daughter and her friends, you know, what what does that look like? And it doesn't matter, I'm just gonna travel and live my left, my best life in the in the moment and not really worry about it. Well. If that's the case, then you will have to worry about what does your retirement look like? Well, and so, so here's the issue is, is that like there's two versions of this conversation that I want to have. There's okay. the Nathan the progressive who has thoughts about systemic issues and what's happening with housing. And there's also the honest Nathan who's right now an out-of-state landlord who like has a house that has, that's building equity. And I'm, I'm really struggling getting my head around the like – what I want to happen programmatically and philosophically and then what I know is like the material reality of my life and the idea that like my retirement savings includes the value of my house and I'm really struggling with like my values and my reality at the same time and I think folks can hear that in my agitation. Ah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> there, there, there's two books I want to kind of fold in this conversation. Uh, 
that have been really formative in my life. One is Living Apart by Nicole Hannah-Jones. It's a story basically about housing segregation and how the United States walked away from all the agreements we made about like integrated housing in the 60s. And then the other book I listened to on Libro is Race for Profit, which is basically about how, so it's a it's a pun or double entendre, uh, race for profit. It's sure. about how real estate agents in the past basically accelerated and made money off of uh, black misery through like blockbusting and redlining everything else. I say all that as context because like, you're a black woman in real estate. Mm -hmm. Real estate agents historically have done a lot of really terrible things to black communities. Mm -hmm. You have talked about how you're trying to educate people on home ownership and home buying and why it's important in order to like create wealth within families. But my wonder is, is, what is the work to be done? So I, I hear you doing that work, but what is the work that real estate as a profession, as like an industry, like owes communities? Is is doing home buyer education for some home buyer education enough? Is no. like telling people I already know. Okay. So what what <laughs> what does the industry owe? And then this isn't like reparations, although Marguerite says reparations, but like, but what do you think the industry owes communities or what, what is the work to be done by the industry? Man, when we start getting into the conversation about, you know, reparations and what's owed to the communities as the person that you just identified that I am, that looks so huge to me because there's so many people that have to be involved in that. Mm -hmm. which means you have to have that many people understand and believe that that is owed and due. And the people in power don't all believe that. You have such a small group of people that believe that and want that to happen. So when we talk about how do you support people and give back and what does that look like? I mean, they're still just arguing about forming a committee to look at that, not mm -hmm. forming a committee to make it happen. Yeah. So kind of asking a question like that, it's just, it's so difficult to even try to wrap my own head around that. I, I listen to the uh, radio conversations around it and I think about, you know, myself in that and I know what has happened to my family in the past and, you know, to be on the receiving end of that, what is that, what would that even look like? And so then how do I take my position to influence Continuing to talk about it, making sure nobody forgets about it, and participating in the conversation when we get to the place of how does that look. So I think, you know, there has to be deregula deregulation currently on the things that are creating roadblocks and providing new regulation to protect anything that is is created. So. I can't put a name or a word to these things because they don't exist. Sure. Um, but if we were to talk about things like um, sponsorships, I know that has come up a lot when you sponsor a person of color to do something or, um, you know, we talk about reparations, which even though that conversation has been going on forever, I remember when my dad told me that the government owed me 40 acres and a mule, I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't know what he was talking about until I was in my 40s. Um, well, probably my 30s. 
but there there has to be something and until people acknowledge and accept that this is the truth and stop trying to act like it's not the truth because they didn't they weren't the original enforcer of it then we're not going to get anywhere with making sure that these um these things happen so i i'm having a hard time talking about it because it brings up a lot of emotion yeah no for sure well and and and, and i've shared my family's story on a stage before uh-huh. like my mother and my family moved here from Arkansas in the 60s. Uh, my mother was steered and my family was steered to a house on Hilltop. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had an encounter with a friend in high school who like I found out oddly like her family arrived in town at the same time. Their family was steered to a house in the North End mm-hmm. and yada, 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 like the house that her family uh, her, basically her family's home is a very similar floor pan to like my family's homestead. But like, because housing values are a reflection of demography and many white people will pay a premium to not live around brown people. Uh, her family's house is worth $250,000 more than my fam- family's houses. And that's allowed her family to send her to college for da, 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 da. Like we can talk about all these ways equity gets pulled out and how folks leverage that. I guess where my head is, is that like, we can point to blockbusting, we can point to redlining, we can point to steering as like the things that real estate did in the past that were damaging to black communities. Mm-hmm. I, I often think about like the old axiom that like, if segregation was created by an intentional process, then it has to be deconstructed by an intentional process. And so, like, I, I'm, I'm almost wondering, like, if, if, if you become, if, if, if tomorrow Jasmine becomes chairman of the Washington State Association of Realtors, mm-hmm. what is the, so, again, granted that, like, segregation is caused by intentional practices, what is, are the practices that you think needs to be implemented in your industry in order to, reparations is the wrong word, but, like, make amends and to, and to close the gaps that have been historically created by the industry? Yeah, you would give me that kind of question. <laughs> Those are, and, and to be quite honest, yeah. these are yeah. the things that keep me up at night because it seems like it should be easy to unravel once we know that it exists. But like I mentioned in a, a conversation with 170 King County assessors with my boss, you can't undo all of this stuff overnight and it's going to take thinking outside of the box because we only have the footprint that we've worked within before and unless you get the right type of leadership in place so you're asking me that question if i was chair of washington realtors i know that the 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 biggest influence that washington realtors has is their lobbying arm and who do we assist with bringing up and supporting um, at the state and national level as far as our elected officials? And what are they writing on? And, you know, some of the things that I've seen, witnessed and heard could be very disheartening. But I know that if more people like me are not participating in the real estate industry, even though we may not like who else is at the table, table of 10 and it's only you, you still have to show up because if you're not, then that voice is just completely omitted. So 
I don't know what the solution is because I know that it's it's not going to happen overnight. We're probably not going to see it in our lifetime. And it's probably those millennials who are trying to figure out how to get into housing that are going to be the ones that that actually change it. So bringing them along and getting their perspective and, and how do they see it would be a good place to, to go. We There's a lot of ageism in real estate. If you're mm-hmm. not over 50, we're not listening to you type of mentality. Um, I've experienced that. And we have an enormous amount of young people getting into real estate as their first career. And they're middle of the road, left-leaning and very progressive people coming into the real estate industry. And that is not how we're set up. And I think the quicker that we bring those people up with their ideas and their vision and feedback, and that will help to move this conversation along as far as our industry goes. Because the people who are currently there, and I'm right in the middle, I'm in the middle of what I'm talking about, one foot on each side. Um, if the egos can't get out of the way, then we're not going to do anything. At least twice during this conversation, you said like, that's what keeps me up at night about like real estate and about, right. about the community. How it's, a, do you, it's a dilemma. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, I face, so, so <laughs> I'm somebody who has been critical about law enforcement critical about educational practices, critical about school to prison pipeline, critical about like what's happening in education, push out of young black students, yada, 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 yada. But I still put a pair of pants on and a tie every day and go to a school and like participate in a system that like, replicates all sorts of that, 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 that replicates all sorts of inequalities and inequities around black and brown kids and low income kids. I guess my question is like, if those are the things that keep you up at night, what is the, how do you, how do you get your head around it? What, what makes you go to sleep and be over it? Or, or how do you never over it? Right. Okay. So, so, never over it. so going back to, I consistently, I can't stop. I can't give up. I can't, I can't not show up. I can't not say the thing. And even though there's a lot of stuff that I I can't always say, I have to figure out the political way of doing it. Mm -hmm. I know that there are other people paying attention and watching that are going to do things too. They're going to figure out how to do things. And I know there's people who are much more louder than me that are, are pushing and they're doing the things and you're seeing these tiny cracks in the system and it's like we're sticking our finger or hand through the cracks and we're we're slowly getting through and i have to remind myself that it it is happening it's not happening at the pace i would like it to happen but i have to be a realist and know that it's going to take time this is unless we have a massive overthrow of the government and burn everything that got us here and rewrite it tomorrow night. And, and you're making Doug happy now. You're talking Doug's language. So yeah. and, right. And then present it on Monday and adopt it on Tuesday, which we know is not going to happen. You can't even get a freaking dress code passed that quick in most businesses. So we have to be realist in this and we have to not give up. We have to, can we have to acknowledge, learn, participate, not give up. Don't stick your freaking head in the sand because there's a lot of people I think that are overwhelmed with everything going on in the world. So you kind of have to pick what you're most worried about. It's like, you can't unknow what you've learned and what you've seen. You can't unsee it. So you, 
I don't know. I, the dilemma would be if I turned my back on it and said, forget this, I'm just going to sell a bunch of real estate and I'm not going to talk about these things and I'm going to quit participating. That would be bad. Well, but that's the tension I feel like in this conversation is that like you and I both agree that the system is incredibly unjust and messed up and unsustainable right. and headed for ruin. And then at the same time, we're trying to help people navigate a unjust, unsystem, unjust, unsustainable, ruinous system as best as possible. Right. And, and so like it's, it's all on the inside. We're insiders. Yeah. yeah. So there's the insiders and the outsiders. So we it's like we are the voice for the outsiders until they become insiders. And the more people that we can get to be insiders, the more magnified our voice will be. All right. So the last place I want to go, you were talking about like within the real estate industry is actually about like the industry and like the makeup of the industry. Uh, mm -hmm. One of my former students is a, uh, I guess he's about 24 year old now, black realtor in Tacoma. I think I know who uh, you're talking about. I saw his card in the house. I was like, I need to call him. I want him to come live <laughs> with me. <laughs> and so like, I've been at several real estate conferences and they basically have the diversity of the Trump cabinet, if not worse. So I guess one of my concerns is that like within teaching, I've always advocated for diversifying the teaching profession. And I'm mm -hmm. like, we need more black and brown faces in front of students for a bunch of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Diversification of the real estate industry seems to me like it needs to be an issue that needs to happen. Right. But what is to be gained from putting a brown face in front of uh, having a, a brown face for a system that we are talking about is being unjust and unsustainable and unfair. Like I, I, I is, I'm really struggling with this shit. Is diversifying real estate brokers and agents as big a deal as I think it is? And is it part of an answer to that, that we don't have yet as to how to, how to, how to, how to improve the system? Yes. It's <laughs> Because real estate has been the gatekeeper of all of this oppressive behavior, right? Mm. And the more black and brown people and women that are involved in real estate who have a different perspective and different um, set of goals for numerous reasons, that's where you're going to start seeing more change. And right now, um, that's what everybody's trying to figure out. All the owners of these large companies, they're like, all right, the answer so that we're not seen as the Antichrist. We have to have more black people in the office. But there is something to be said about the companies that just naturally attract those people by how they show up in the community. Mm. And as opposed to, you know, some great recruiting event that you send out all of your black employees to go recruit all of the black people. Like if you are out in the community and you're talking the talk, people will, will follow you. And there, and a lot of the conversation is about how do white companies diversify? Why, why can't we talk about how do we get more black owners in the industry of these real estate firms and more black managers and more uh, people who are in the marketing department of these large companies and then you're going to see some some changes in how things are. And what I find absolutely fascinating is the number of Black-owned boutique firms that pop up that are non-realtors. 
they're opting not to be realtors and they're opting to do things um, separately and making waves and progress on their own terms and not waiting for other people to give them permission, which I, I think is a wonderful thing. Um, and so when you go to these conferences, there are black real estate conferences and people are opting not to go to the other conferences. So the people who are running the conferences should be paying attention to what's going on at these other conferences and figuring out why are we not attracting a diverse crowd? Because there's a lot of black realtors or real estate professionals in the industry, but they're doing things separately. Girl, now I want to hit up happy hour at a black real estate conference. Dang. All right. All right. <laughs> um, we talked through a whole mess of issues and you were very open and personable and like shared like your heart and your areas of discomfort with, with all of this. And I appreciate you for that. Thank right. you so much. And um, I would like to acknowledge something that we haven't talked about. Yeah, please. Which is the privilege that I get because of my complexion. So mm. even though I am, I identify as a black woman, I am biracial, obviously. Um, and I also am highly aware of my ability to flow in and out of spaces. While it's not as easy as a white person, it's definitely not as difficult as a darker skinned black person. And I want to acknowledge that, um, you know, when I talk about these things, I still am talking about it as the, per the perspective of a very fair skin mixed person. Um, and even though I grew up in a black household with black family members, I see that the world has treated my family differently and it's a little easier for me to, to navigate. So that's part of what drives me. I don't think I get to ever stop caring or fighting for this because of what I actually get to see. The way that I see things is so differently because people let down their guard a little bit and will ask me different questions. And it might be a little safer for me to do and say certain things than other people feel that they can do and say. So I, I am, I'm gonna do more talking about that and not taking up space as you know, a black person who has the same struggles, you and I, are not going to have the same struggles because of the way that we look. Yeah. Again, thank you so much for being real. Uh, we tend to end the show with a question called here, hold this L, hold this L. And so cancel culture is not real. Uh, but some folks in life need to shut the hell up. Uh, Jasmine, who is somebody who you think in this world needs to kind of take a seat for a little bit and hold an L? Do we cuss in this segment? Um, you are, you, you are right. an adult. Do you? So I was watching the vice president campaign. I can't even think of what it is. And I had this overwhelm. And this is so terrible. I can't believe I'm even going to admit it. But hey, since we're talking about all of the things, I'm just going to say it. I would love to slap the shit out of the <laughs> can think about stuff like that normally and I'm a pretty nonviolent person but if I could just walk up and slap anybody there's something about the way his forehead crinkles up when he's talking that is so grossly condescending period I want to mess his hair up oh so, god that sent me and, and here's why because I believe that he has an agenda 
that is different than what comes out of his mouth. Oh, for and sure. He's the greatest puppet master in that cabinet right now. Yeah. And it just, I would rather him say what he really thinks. I, I'm actually feeling a, a, a physical, like, I want to vomit even thinking about it. So, anyways, is that what you want no, no. to hear? No, 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 oh, that's more than I wanted. I'll take that all day. No, like, listen, Mike Pence, if he could, would pass a law that bans all abortions and then makes women who get abortions uh, go to prison for it, if he could. Like, he's, he, is, he, he, he is among the worst among us. Uh, Jasmine, if people want to follow you on the socials, where should they look? Well, here's the other thing. So with all of the dilemmas in my brain, I'm having a hard time dealing with social media. I'm trying to figure out how to wiggle my way back into it. But on Instagram is where I spend some of my time. So um, that would probably, if you really want to see and hear about what I do or am doing, that would be the place. And uh, yeah. Jasmine, what's your Instagram handle then? Jasmine J, J A S M Y N J. But if you put in Jasmine Jefferson, I just need to put out there that I, I do have a junior. I did name my daughter after me before understanding the complexities and what the internet was going to do. So, <laughs> um, and there's also some other people. So make sure it's the right Jasmine. If you're going to follow me and just, just go in there. I talk about my dog, Chuck, and yeah. So make sure it's the right, Jasmine. I need you to never change. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> Wakanda forever, y'all. Wash your damn hands. Channel 253 is a member-supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. I'm still laughing about Mike Pence. <laughs> I don't know if I should have said that or not, but that's the most recent person I thought about. Nerd Farmer is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows. Interchangeable White Ladies, Give Me the Mic, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.